four turtles, four brothers, genetically reborn in the sewers of New York, named after the great Renaissance masters, and trained as ninjas. Welcome to Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retrospective Series. Dudes and Dudettes, Major League Butt-Kicking is back in town! Starring our podcast hosts on the half shell, Jacob. He's lower than scum. He gives scum a bad name. Of course he does, that's why I hired him. Arnie. A nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. And Stuart. I'm being punished, aren't I? This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Righteous! Nova! Chevy Nova? Listener discretion is advised. It is time to seek our answers. And remember, go ninja, go ninja, go! <laughs> Today we're discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, starring Mika Abbey, Shimon Brown Jr., Nicholas Cantu, Brady Noon, Ayo Ederbiri, Maya Rudolph, John Cena, Seth Rogen, we're into some names I know now, Rose Burns, Natasha Dimitriou, Giancarlo Esposito, Jackie Chan, Ice Cube, Paul Rudd, Austin Post, Hannibal Burris, directed by Jeff Rowe. Oh, you forgot Mr. Beast. The Zoomers are turning this episode off now. What did he play? He gets two lines. Yeah. My daughter's recognized his voice right away. This is your very popular and well-liked co-host of Now Playing, who, of course, loved high school, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who dreams about fighting every night, Jacob. Yeah, my favorite retrospective ever. I had to create imaginary children in order to accompany me to sit through these things. I did it again. Wanted to say I went back and watched all the movies again to do the... I watched movies I didn't even watch the first time to try and get my turtles on. Do you watch some of the cartoons? Did you watch Turtles Forever, the best Mutant Ninja Turtles movie out there that beat Spider-Man into the multiverse by a decade? I did, and I didn't think it was that great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it. There's the comic book Turtles and the 80s cartoon Turtles and the 2000s cartoon Turtles, and it's still not very good. But yeah, I saw that one. Believe it or not, maybe even a little bit better was the Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They actually have Batman, Robin, Batgirl, at first distrusting, and then a aligning with Leonardo and the gang and they fight the whole rogues gallery and Shredder ends up becoming the Joker at the end. It's a real mishmash that maybe somebody would like. Yeah. They even have a quote unquote movie on Netflix called Rise of the Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is, I guess, the latest cartoon. If you've been wondering what they've been doing for the last decade, their new animated series has some weird Terminator spin where Casey Jones comes from the future back in time to stop an apocalypse where like Krang kills everyone and it's very t-1000 
Yeah, I don't keep up with the Mutant Ninja Turtles television shows and stuff, but I have been keeping up with the video games. Last year, they came out with a one that had me like super hyped called Shredder's Revenge for the Switch, and it was a throwback to the old Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game with that kind of style of fighting where you get a multiplayer and go through and just beat up on Bebop, Rocksteady, and a whole bunch of new characters. And so I got to admit, when we were talking about returning to Turtles for this review, I I was pretty hyped just to revisit this childhood fandom of mine, to see in the trailers that some of the toys I had, like Baxter Stockman and things, were actually going to get the feature in the movie. I was like, yeah, I'm excited for the Turtles. Well, I was excited for this, and not really, like, look, we all grew up with the Turtles. I got that love for it. My cousin was a voice actor in the original television cartoon, so I got that love, but none of these movies have been great, and I'm a middle-aged man. What do I care about turtles? But look, I saw this trailer. I'm like, oh, they're copying into the Spider-Verse. Let's just do a crazy, cool-looking, almost hand-drawn CGI style. I'm all for that. Get away from that plasticky-looking Illumination Pixar look. So that got me excited. And sorry, but maybe this is shallow. I love the logo for this. The mutant mayhem, all slimy. The turtles making, like, these fangs. It just looked like a cool skateboard sticker. And I collected cool skateboard stickers when I was a kid like I would love skateboarding logos like so yeah I'm like it's got a cool style and it's got a cool logo oh and the other thing they're acting like teenagers in this trailer that seems kind of neat I don't think they've actually acted like kids before that is something for sure, that they definitely lean into the teenage of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it got me thinking, before they've kind of been frat bro Mutant Ninja Turtles, haven't they? They've always seemed like early 20-something Mutant Ninja Turtles, but here it's really going to drive home how they are teenagers. And I just want to circle back to something you said that needs underlining. The movies previously, no matter what arrows we've given, have all been really terrible. These are terrible, <laughs> terrible films. Starting with that first one. These people that are like, oh, the first one was good. That's the worst one. Okay, back off. There's turtles in time coming up. Don't say it's the worst. The Jim Henson puppets barely move right. Terrible films. Up to this point, terrible, terrible films. If I don't have fake kids with me, these things are deplorable. Cannot be considered the worst one when two and three are out there. I mean, turtles in time, anybody? Exactly. Yes, much better than that first shitty one. Okay, maybe you like the costumes more? It doesn't make it a better film. Yeah, and the idea of going to feudal Japan. Yes, it's more appealing than that dank, awful set they had for that first movie. I mean, they do live in the sewers. I still have love for that first movie and first soundtrack. Yes, because you were a child and you won't let go of that. But it is a terrible, terrible, terrible film. And I just want to stress that. The Turtles have sucked at the movies. And that's, yeah, this is why I'm not excited. Even though, yes, there are reasons to think this one will be different and better. Didn't we all like the second Megan Fox movie? I mean, yes, I probably gave green arrows to some of them. I didn't recommend it, but it was fine. Like, it was almost okay. Yeah, again, what I'm telling you is when I throw off the sheen and you've accused me of being fraudulent by creating fake children and giving qualified recommends, when I don't do that, I say not recommend to this whole franchise. I want none of it. I don't like it. I don't want to be in a sewer with radioactive turtles eating pizza. That's gross.
But yes, I do think it's funny that Spider-Verse wins the Oscar, Best Animated Film, and all of a sudden we're greenlit with the Turtles comeback. They're going to do another animated movie very much in a copycat style. I was a little bit concerned when I saw that this was coming from Seth Rogen, an actor who I can't say I have a whole lot of love for. You don't like him. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Why? And tell me why. I just think he picks a lot of bad projects. I loved him in 40-Year-Old Virgin. I thought he was really well cast in that. That was the first time I'd seen him. But then I've seen him in a whole bunch of stuff afterwards. And every so often, he'll pull off a really good performance. He was really good in Pam and Tommy, if you saw that miniseries last year, where he was the guy who leaked the sex tape of Pamela Anderson. And he can be good in stuff. I think he was funny in a small role in Disaster Art. But by and large, I just don't think that he's all that funny. And I think he spends more time doing weed and thinking he's funny than actually being funny. So I was a little concerned with him being one of the lead minds behind this remake. And why is he here? Because I can tell you the second time I saw it at night and nobody was in the theater, but the first time I watched it, it had no kids in it, but it had some teenagers. And they were all like, what? When Seth Rogen shows up and thanks you for coming to the movies, they're like, why is he even here? They didn't even know he was involved. He's not associated with the Turtles ever before. Why give him this gig? Now, I know the directors of this. I saw their previous film, Mitchell's vs. the Machines, and they brought a lot of those voice actors they used over to this. I got to imagine they had some connection with Seth Rogen. I know they asked him for a pitch, and he's the ones like, hey, how about we make them teenagers? That's a novel idea. But yeah, I don't know the exact connection. It is weird to think that stoner Seth Rogen, well, maybe it's appropriate that he's doing pizza skateboarding turtles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to offer that at this point, he's probably a dad or at least could be. And so anytime any youthful, and I associate him with youth pictures, any kind of youth star hits middle age, they think about ways that they can entertain their kids while keeping their cool. And I guess Turtles is one way of doing that. But it was weird. Again, it's an unexpected combination. How did you guys see it? I saw it originally in 3D and it made so little difference in my screening that I ended up watching it again in 2D. I went on a Saturday matinee. It didn't look very crowded. I think four tickets were sold. I was like, this seems like a good time to go. So I went and I don't know why I didn't think that this movie would be crowded with kids on a Saturday (laughs) afternoon. Yeah, what are you thinking? Even the second week, it's still going to get crowded. Between the time I bought my ticket and the time I got to the theater, like most of the theater had sold out with families. Lots of kids, lots of chattering during the movie, lots of food and candy being bought to keep kids quiet during the movie. It was a pretty solid Dolby Atmos showing. I was surprised so many people showed up in week two, but I guess there's not a lot competing for that family dollar right now. I saw this in the middle of the week because, hey, we're doing this late. I don't have to go on a busy Friday or Saturday. We went to the middle of the week. Stuart, I guess you flushed your kids down, so you don't have kids to bring to this anymore. No. I did bring my two teenage daughters to this who are not familiar with the Turtles. Like, we're driving there, and my one daughter asked because she has, like, this cross-country friend that she has a text relationship with, and she's like, hey, which one's Leonardo and Donnie? Because that's her favorite ones. And so, like, I had to explain which colors went with what name so they could track them. 
Mm-hmm. But so they went into this. They just like, they're like, oh, the animation style looks kind of cool. And it looked kind of funny from those trailers. Yeah, we'll go see it with you. So yeah, there was maybe three or four other families on a Wednesday night to go watch this. Like I said, I don't have kids, but I was in a theater with really rude teenagers. Those are the only kind, Stuart. They came back from the the sewer that I flushed them down and like we're older now. And they were just heckling from the get-go. Like as soon as Nicole Kidman appeared and she was like, because we need it. And they're like, we don't need you, bitch. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was bad. I mean, we heckle her every show, so why not? <laughs> yeah. So it made it kind of fun, but it also made me need to see it a second time without commentary track. I personally wish they'd be there for every Nicole Kidman <laughs> opening at AMC. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Her latest costume drama. But I don't know, is this the start of a franchise? I've got to say I would be discouraged if I was Paramount and Nickelodeon. Right now, this thing is sitting at 70 million gross, which is what it costs to make. And while I imagine they'll end up doubling it before they're done in theaters, it's not the hit that it was in the 90s. Obviously, the phenomenon has cooled. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to make money off Turtles, though. By doing this, you juice toy sales. Merchandising get people to buy more video games, you get people to Mm -hmm. check out more TV series. You know, it's such a franchise experience. But yeah, I'm surprised it didn't make more money than it did, given that I wanted to see Spider-Verse in theaters again. It's not in theaters. And I think there would be a lot of people who'd be like, well, I can't see and cross the Spider-Verse now. So let's go see Mutant Ninja Turtles. It looks similar. Yeah, it isn't the same thing. And I would say slightly younger audience, but we're getting into the movie. Let's discuss it. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we'll find out about this mutant mayhem. 15 years ago, scientist Baxter Stockman created a mutagen which will transform animals into intelligent anthropomorphized versions of themselves. He experiments with this ooze on a housefly, but his experiments are interrupted by Techno-Cosmic Research Institute, or TCRI, executive Cynthia Utram. Stockman is killed, his mutagen falls into a sewer, and Utram swears she will find a way to recreate Stockman's creation. In the sewers, you know what happened. The ooze fell on four baby turtles and one older rat. The rat became a father to the turtles and trained them in the way of the ninja. We're now 15 years later and these teenage mutant ninja turtles have been taught by their father Splinter, voiced by Jackie Chan, to fear and hate all humans. But these turtle brothers, Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, and leader Leonardo, only want to be accepted by humans and be able to go to a public high school. While on one secret visit above ground, the turtles meet high schooler April O'Neil. This teenage wannabe journalist is investigating a string of robberies of scientific equipment being performed by a criminal known as Superfly. The turtles offer to help April, hoping that capturing this bad guy will lead humans to accepting the turtles. The turtles and April follow another theft and meet up with Superfly, who is not a human with a nickname, but rather Baxter Stockman's mutated housefly voiced by Ice Cube. Superfly has a gang of mutated animals. Superfly realizes the turtles are made from the same mutagen that created his gang, and he tries to recruit the turtles to his cause, which is to fire mutagen into the air, mutating every animal and making humans a subservient species. Initially on board, the turtles soon rebel when the full genocidal extent of Superfly's plan is revealed. The turtles fight Superfly and his gang, and the fight is broken up by TCRI agents who capture the turtles. Utrom starts to experiment on the turtles to 
extract the mutagen from their body, but they're rescued by April and Splinter. The Turtles and Splinter go to meet with Superfly's gang and convince them to turn on Superfly. They try to destroy Superfly's machine, but it goes off and turns Superfly into a giant kaiju. In his new form, Superfly starts to attack New York. The Turtles and the rest of Superfly's gang try to stop the crazed fly, but the news media depicts all the mutated animals as attacking monsters and fight against the Turtles and their friends. April goes to Channel 6 News and hijacks a broadcast and airs that the only evil mutant is the fly, and the Turtles and the others are trying to save New York. With the aid of some New Yorkers, the Turtles are able to drop a vial of anti-mutagen into Superfly, turning him back into his normal fly mode. The rest of the mutants move into the sewers to live with Splinter and the Turtles, and the four teenage turtles have been accepted by New York and are attending their first day of high school as credits roll. I got a question as we get started here. TCRI, Techno Cosmic Research Institute, this is nothing that we've ever seen before in a movie. No, this is something that I had to do some research on because I didn't even know it from my childhood affinity of the Turtles. I mean, come on, Techno, Technodrome? That's not just the only connection to Krang. Yeah, it turns out that there's this whole stuff that came in the 21st century turtle stories in IDW comics and on TV where this TCRI and Utrom is not a person but an alien species. A race. And Krang is one of the Utrom, and so Cynthia Utrom is probably not actually a human is my guess. She's wearing this visor that's very similar to the fake body that Krang would pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm thinking that it would be revealed in the sequel that Krang is inside of Cynthia Utrom there and that this whole TCRI is interdimensional or intergalactic beings or something like that. But having watched this movie only once and not knowing who the TCRI or the Utrom were coming in, everything involving the TCRI or Utrom I feel could be cut out of this movie and make for a leaner movie. Maybe. We'll explore that as we go through. The gist that I get is that they want to stop a rogue scientist. That Baxter Stockman has run off with some of their equipment and supplies and made mutants. And I have a vague memory of, like, a guy in a lab coat with a fly head. That was from the cartoon. You don't remember Tyler Perry? Didn't he play Baxter Stockman? You just rewatched these. He never turned into a fly in that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. He was one of my favorite characters from the old 80s cartoon. I always loved that they had ongoing stories, how Baxter started as a human and then became this fly creature. And, you know, this movie underwent some rewriting, some serious rewrites after production started. Mm. And in the comics, yeah, Baxter Stockman is the fly creature. Here, he's just a scientist who creates the fly creature. I think that's something that came up in rewrites. Yeah, they're going to really stray, I guess, from the traditional lore of the turtles in this. And so, yeah, the whole time when they're talking about Superfly, I'm like, oh, that's going to be Baxter Stockman. He's going to show up with the fly head. But no, like what happens to him here? I see him get arrested. He's killed. He's not arrested. He is dead. We will have lines of dialogue later confirm that he died in this raid. And because this is a PG movie, not even PG-13, death is really going to be, you know, minimized, off screen. They're not going to linger on the body, but when that canister blows up, he ain't moving again. 
I just assumed you don't see the body, they're not dead. And yeah, even if this is a cartoon, I figured that was what they maybe assumed and he'd be showing up at some point. And yet we see him talking to, well, big red eyes in a cradle. And so I think you can maybe see the outline of a fly creature. We get its POV in certain shots. Oh, we see this giant like fly. Yeah. 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 I don't know that we get a good look at it, but we know there's some kind of baby bug. We see a giant fly with him. (laughs) Yes. A baby bug that is listening to his stories. And this is where they start the theme of the movie. That Stockman is a tragic figure because he's isolated. He has no one that loves him. He talks about liking lab rats and lab animals more than his scientific peers. And so, in part, he's turned to this mutant experiment because he's trying to create a family for himself alone. We will see two other characters wrestle with that and how damaging that is to your psyche later on. But yes, it leads to his death is what I would extract from this. He dies because he tries to make a mutant family in an abandoned building that gets raided. And I believe you wouldn't hire Giancarlo Esposito for such a minor role. Exactly. I gotta think that this was a bigger part initially, and they did shut down production, rewrite the script, and then return to production for this movie. Perhaps this character's death, or lack thereof, perhaps Giancarlo Esposito's role were larger in the original, because, yeah, I was surprised. I knew he was in this movie, and he and Maya Rudolph, when the credits were rolling, I'm like, who were they again? And trying to figure out who everybody was, and I couldn't believe you'd give Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad and so many other things this role that has 60 seconds of screen time before he's killed, maybe? Maybe you had to get back to the set of The Mandalorian and finish up his role over there. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're on to something. There are two sets of writers on this. One is the Seth Rogen team, and the other are people that have written animated films, like that Adam's Family sequel we reviewed last year. And my guess is, yes, that in shaping the material, they decided to create the conflict being that fathers sometimes can be wrong in trying to isolate their children. That is a theme that we will see play out. Oh, for sure. This is about, yeah, passing down generational biases and confronting that. Mm -hmm. We'll see. They'll jump away from this scene and immediately, well, we think we're in a different Turtles movie because we see them posing on the rooftop. They don't even have the pupils. They look hard and mean and muscular like they do in, I think, their comic book origins. But that's all just a fantasy. In the end, these are lanky teenagers. They're not buff. One's got a missing tooth. One wears glasses. One has braces. These are very much a non-macho turtle quartet. Exactly where do you find the orthodontist that's going to do the work on a mutant turtle? And why do you not equally find a dentist to replace Raphael's tooth? Well, he probably knocks it out every other week. I mean, they're self-taught ninjas. Splinter probably read a dentist book too and did dentistry himself. (laughs) Yes, that is what we are going to learn is that they are the embodiment of do-it-yourself. Yeah, and while they're standing up on this rooftop, we're going to find out what they're up to. Another big surprise is when they start talking about humans are the demon scum of the earth. I'm like, whoa, this is a very different take. Like Splinter had interactions with humans, at least from what I know in the comics and from the cartoons. And now they're learning like, yeah, humans are awful. Like turtles, we think of them as the heroes and they hate humans here. They tell us right away. 
Mm-hmm. And also questionable, I think, in America in 2023, Splinter is saying that it's okay to rob a bodega, right? Like, we'll just go in and grab what you want. I'm not sure that's messaging you want to give to young, impressionable minds right now. Yeah, I was waiting for them to, like, sneak the money on the counter or something, but if that happened, I missed it. No, I was waiting for the same thing that like they would pay for their supplies. And that led me to the question of where would turtles get money that isn't stealing? (laughs) And so, yeah, they, I think, are just stealing what they need to survive. Yeah, they're using their ninja skills to hijack a Doritos truck (laughs) and yeah, swipe toilet paper and Go-Gurt and all of that. Which leads me to my next question. What is the marketing tie-in? How much of this can I eat at home? I did find a box of turtle cereal. It is out on shelves again and very different from the Chex Mix with marshmallows that I ate as a child. I got to imagine it turns your milk green. It is a green apple flavored. Yes. And there's sort of a mutant quality to the milk. Not as good. Or maybe I'm just nostalgic for back in my day, the turtle cereal was better. I'm imagining you could get some Go-Gurt because Go-Gurt will give you a tie into anything. Mm, AMC does have a green apple Slurpee, but they cheated. They always have that green apple Slurpee. They just slapped a turtle face on it this week. Yeah. But I strangely do love it when people try to infuse food with like franchise themes. Yeah, I just knew about like a Pizza Hut promotion with the turtles, which makes sense. They're known for pizza. Yeah, they've always been connected. Well, weren't they Domino's turtles at one point? Yeah, they were Domino's in the first film. Mm. As long as they're never Papa John's turtles, then we got to cancel them. (laughs) Anyway, yes. So the point is that in their minds, they're tough and fully ready to take on the world. But in truth, they're sneaking off to see Adele concerts and the Knicks. And again, they're just longing. When we see them run off to an outdoor screening of Ferris Bueller, you can see on Leonardo's face how much he'd like to have a girl to snuggle up with the way so many are in the park. Now, like I said, I took my teenage daughters to this. One is on the later half of the teenage years. One's on the early half. And I got to say, a lot of these references, like they know Adele. They've seen Ferris Bueller, but they were young. They barely remember it. There's going to be like, hey, Arnold references. A lot of these references feel very like Gen X or millennial. It feels like they got them off just a little bit. Here's what I would say, Jacob, because I agree. I Usually I ding a kiddie franchise when they do too much of that because it's like, we all know this should be a kid's film first and foremost. Yes, you want to do some service. This franchise has been in existence for what now? 40 years. So yes, there is an older fan base, but in the end, you got to make it for kids. Yes, sometimes it is about, you know, sampling Vanilla Ice's ninja rap. So happy they did that. <laughs> and then sometimes they bring up BTS and sing Butter. They mix it up enough that I think all generations are going to get a reference or two. But yes, there's a lot of Paramount in this. SpongeBob, Hey Arnold, Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, like when they talk about Attack on Titan, like my girls love anime. So like they got that reference. So they got a few modern day ones in there. Mm -hmm. But anyway, again, I think we see from this opening that these kids very badly need to socialize and that they all have tablets and devices and you would think that they would be texting the wrong people. I have a problem with the personification of the turtles here, though. I felt like they weren't distinct enough. Like, the turtles themselves are one mass. And while there is a little bit of a subplot about Leonardo needing to be a better leader and how he rats out his fellow turtles, I don't feel like Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael were really that distinct here. It seems like they have one group want, one group desire, and... 
in the previous tellings, I know, Stuart, you say you hate them all, but I felt like they did a better job of making the turtles individuals in those here, maybe because they're leaning so much into the teenage bit. It just felt like they were all one character. I'm going to say it helped having teenagers that I live with because especially two girls, like because they're sisters, they have a lot of things they like together. And I think an outsider looking at them like, oh, they just all like the same stuff. But because I'm closer to them, I know there are differences between them. And so I was able to see that with these turtles, like not just by the aesthetics, like they're different builds or different voices. But yeah, you're not going to get a character arc for each of them. So their personalities aren't revolving around whatever that character arc, except for Leo, who's becoming a leader. So it's not that obvious, but I do think it's subtle, but there are differences there. And I think if you live with teenagers, you probably recognize that. And here's what I would offer as someone who as of last week probably couldn't have told you based on bandana color who was who I had to do the deep dive to remind myself all right that's his weapon that's his power like in the end I agree that this is Leonardo's movie yeah the other three are marginalized it's weird because in the Henson ones it was always Raphael he was the angsty one. Raphael was the aggressive one that was always causing the problems they had to clean up. And here, you barely notice Raphael. In fact, he's the one that I think gets almost nothing. The others, you get that Donatello is geeky. He's into devices, technology. Like Gran Turismo style, he'll learn to drive by playing a video game. And then Mikey is the one that likes improv, right? Like he's the party animal that doesn't want to follow a plan. I kind of can see how they have skills to bring, but yeah, Raphael feels like the marginalized one. Yeah, they make mention of Raphael having anger issues. It's kind of a punchline, which I think, again, goes back to that Jim Henson one. But I think you're stretching because, you know, in my mind, I hear that 1980s theme and, you know, Donatello does machines and Michelangelo's a party dude. And I'm like, I don't see one being a bigger party dude than the others here. And they all seem pretty techno savvy. None of them is creating giant scientific devices the way they did in the earlier cartoons. So, I mean, they're trying to ground it, but in doing so, they're robbing these mutant ninja turtles of anything individualistic other than their distinctive cowl color. And I guess I'm agreeing with you, but I have the opposite reaction because, yes, these are not the animated turtles. They are not the very single note personalities that those had. And look, I love those turtles, but I appreciate that it's teenagers, but it's a more mature take on the property. And they feel like real teenagers. I'm watching these turtles. I'm looking at my girls. I see a lot of similarities. My girls, they really connected with these teenage turtles, too. So I think they tapped into something that we're just too old for. Yeah, I would offer this, that what Arnie is saying is true, but what Jacob is saying is also true in that they just aren't developed as characters yet. They are only 15 years old, and this is the movie that's really going to focus on how lost you are for an identity at that age. They don't know who they are. They don't know how to individualize from each other because they all live together and are fearful that they're going to die together in the sewers, unseen, unrecognized. So this is about them starting that process of individuation. And it is interesting to see them relate with their father, Splinter. Jackie Chan playing into that Mr. Miyagi role that he did in the live-action Karate Kid remake, now being the Mr. Miyagi to these four turtles and punishing them by telling us their backstory. And <laughs> this time he didn't learn karate from a book, Stuart. He learned it from YouTube. 
Yeah, this feels like heresy, though. Like, I think it's always been canon that he was the pet of a karate master, right? Like, they always wanted to have the idea that Shredder, let's just get to it. Shredder's not in this movie very much, but Shredder was always the antithesis to the Turtles because Shredder fought Splinter's master. And that's all been thrown out. Yeah, they throw out a lot of the lore, which keeps me on my toes. Surprises me because I grew up as a Turtles fan. I've seen all those movies because of now flying. And so, yeah, I'm wondering, like, the hardcore modern-day Turtle fans, is this going to rub them the wrong way? Heresy. Yes, it's piquing my interest. It's actually making me lean in more to see Splinter, like, why does he hate humans? Because, yeah, I thought he was a human or the pet of a human, depending if you go by the cartoon or the comic and the movies. Like, I thought he already had that connection, but no, in this telling, it's very different. I gotta say they cleaned up some stuff. If you look at the old Ninja Turtle mythology, some of the creatures were humans that turned into creatures. Bebop and Rocksteady started as henchmen and became mutant animals, whereas the turtles started as turtles and Splinter started as a rat and became mutants. Here, everything that we're gonna deal with that's a mutant started as a pure animal and got mutated. None of this is humans that mutated the other direction, which cleaned things up, you know, and also it does keep me on my toes. It also helps the plot where they want to just turn all animals. Yeah, it does. And Jacob, like you say, it keeps me interested to see, okay, how are they changing this mythology? How are they rebooting it? What else is new here? I knew they were going to bring in a ton of characters that I had as action figures back in the day. That were all bad guys. Yeah. And so I was curious, how could they fit all these in and how would they take this story? And so, yeah, seeing that there are YouTube ninjas made me laugh, made me think of Stuart's reaction to the first Ninja Turtles movie and made me wonder, are they good ninjas? That's something that I leave the theater still wondering <laughs> is, are they good ninjas or are they just semi-okay martial artists? They're probably better than we were as breakdancers learning from a book in the <laughs> 80s, Artie. You did the wrong way. I just watched Breakin' to learn breakdancing. Gotta bring that up. Listen, I'm not saying they're not better than me. I'm just saying that I don't think they're as good. <laughs> I mean, I tried too. I can do the wave for you if you want to laugh. But yes, learning from a book, learning from YouTube. Yes, here we're encouraged to laugh. Whereas before, I think we're expected to take the idea, the mind of a child and accept. The fact that this montage comes after when Splinter tries to take the baby turtles, who are just so damn cute. I always love the turtles in baby form. That feels like a show I watched called Half Shell Heroes that was the incarnation about 10 years ago, where it was kind of like Muppet Babies with turtles, and they were really blocky and babyish. Yeah, I just, they're cute when they're little baby turtles like that. But yeah, Splinter does take them to the surface, takes them to Times Square, where Mr. Beast, this is where Mr. Beast gets his cameo, as my daughters inform me, because they were at one point, like all Zoomers, Mr. Beast fans. They still like them, but they don't watch them regularly. But yeah, Mr. Beast is the one that calls out, no, it's just a cheap Mickey Mouse costume that Splinter's in, and then pulls on the ears, and they realize there's some kind of mutant freaks and turn against them. Yeah, and they roll into traffic. Again, this is what, I think they would have just been happy living off trash and dumpsters, but because the humans threatened them and they were almost run over by traffic, that's why they turn to the martial arts. That's why they feel they have to get into a stance of self-defense. Maybe that's why they don't mind stealing either, because they hate humans. Mm-hmm, yeah. Again, if I were a parent that had to explain the morality of this movie afterwards, that's how I would come at it. They just didn't respect humans enough to pay for their services. <laughs> 
But yeah, Splinter is a, just a textbook codependent parent, you know, like his all messaging is just so toxic that like, we don't need humanity. We just need each other. And you boys are all I'll ever have. And so you're grounded and can never leave me, essentially. Again, keeping them captive. It feels kind of like what Baxter was trying to do with his family and certainly what Superfly is doing with his. Not that that's unrealistic. Like, there are lots of screwed up parents screwing up their kids. Like, yeah, very controlling. Who can they socialize with? All that kind of stuff. So, like, I found this not real realistic. But, yes, as a metaphor, it's all working for me. Mm -hmm. I was surprised Splinter wasn't a more sympathetic character. He comes across so racist, you know, anti-human. and He's a boomer. Yeah, they do try to soften him later on, but here at the beginning, yeah, he is very toxic, and I was kind of shocked by that. Usually, I see him as the wise Yoda creature, right? And here, he's got the most to learn. But yeah, he's the most damaged because, again, if you were a rat in New York, where would you find love? Everything hated him. Yeah, Kevin the cockroach who he had to eat, none of it worked out. He talks about the turtles being the first time that, you know, he just comes across them in a puddle of green ooze and one kind of like nuzzles up against his leg. That is the first time he's ever experienced love. So, yes, he has a lot to learn. Yeah, maybe he's even more than Leonardo, the changed character. I do have to laugh out loud, though, when Jackie Chan's dialogue is like, I was an older rat, so I became an old yeah. rat. You guys were baby turtles, so you became baby mutants. The logic makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does. I buy it. <laughs> yes, exactly. This one has a self-awareness to laugh off the things that we would nitpick and not be able to find logical conclusion to. But let's talk about Superfly because we've seen on Teletrons, the news is already reporting that there's been this rash of truck carjackings and all of this material, high-tech equipment related to radiation is being ripped off all throughout New York. And we see one of those jobs go down here in an ice cream truck. Yeah, I was getting real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first movie vibes with this crime wave going on. Maybe it's just the turtles stealing all those Doritos and sandwiches from bodegas or something. But yeah, the, the fact that there's a crime wave going on in New York, once again, I guess there's always crime waves in New York unless Giuliani's around to stop it. But it feels particularly prescient now. Yes. And yeah, again, the turtles are no different than the human beings who are taking the money from a criminal mastermind they've never seen. And we have a kind of intense scene where like the police are chasing them and they get lifted out of this roadblock, but get dropped off at the shipping yard. And we don't see Superfly yet. We just see his mouth and his fangs. And yeah, it's implied that these guys get killed. There's a lot of death that happens in this movie for a PG movie. I thought this one is pretty clear that they died, though. Unlike Baxter Stockman, who I think could still come back in that sequel. I'm like, dang, this is pretty intense. Like, not for teenagers, but for littler kids, it, it was kind of scary. Uh, different times, right? Like, t these times are scarier for little kids than they were for, sure. for me in the 80s and 90s. But yeah, let's get to April, because she's the other reboot that's happening here. 20 minutes into this movie, the turtles are making viral videos with watermelons, destroying them. They throw a Chinese star, and it winds up in her helmet. Has April ever been a teenager herself before? Because I always have seen her as an adult that the turtles hang around and kind of crush on, but I don't recall any where she herself is a teenager who's going to be part of the adventures. Yeah, I'm familiar with the movies. I'm familiar with the original cartoon. I didn't watch all the Nickelodeon stuff, so if it ever happens there, then I guess it's happened, but I've never seen her as a teenager. It's always been a grown woman. 
I can say this. I don't know about a teenager, but she was black in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was the show that came out about 2018. When the Michael Bay film stopped happening, they made a new animated series and they made her black. And she seemed younger, but I don't remember high school. Again, in the movie, it was all Terminator, future dystopia. So it was kind of hard to orient. But yes, she is a cub reporter who is basically trying to find Superfly so that she can have kids like her. That prom got canceled, curfews are out, kids are not allowed uh, because there's so much looting happening, and she's trying to fix it for that reason, by investigating and writing stories for the high school paper. And she's going to relate to the turtles because the turtles are thinking, if we can stop Superfly, humans will like us. She's thinking, if I can get prom to go back on, people will stop calling me puke girl because she went on those morning shows that high schools have and vomited and became a meme herself, kind of like the Star Wars kid. She was puke girl and they are vandalizing her locker, calling her puke girl. And rather than go suicidal like people do in real life over this kind of bullying, she decides to save prom. She sees the turtles as heroes because they go and fight a bunch of thieves to get her scooter back that gets stolen when she's interacting with them. And so, yeah, that's when she comes up with the idea. If we could all just be seen as heroes, maybe people will accept us. And I want to say that puke scene, like, it's just enough puke. I don't want fart jokes or all that juvenile humor that I just come to expect in kids stuff. Like, you don't get a whole lot of it. The fact that she pukes and they remix it and meme it, like, that's the real joke there. And it's funny. Like, it's just enough puke for me. Again, that is one for the wee ones. I feel like kids today know what it is. Oh, my girls were rolling during that much harder than I was laughing. Yeah, they know what it is to be shamed virally and have seen it happen. Maybe have even experienced it, as Arnie says, typically with darker consequences here that we can laugh about it and just understand that it connects her to these teen turtles. She likes them. Yes, we have this big fight. They go to a chop shop. Her moped has been stolen. You know, I just want to say for a PG movie, there are guns, shotguns being fired and all of that. I don't think that they have softened the turtles so much that they're not going to have violence. You know what I mean? Like people get their ass handed to them in this scene. They do make a joke later. I think it's like an inside joke where they call them like mutant hero turtles, which they had to call them the UK because ninjas were not appropriate for children and they couldn't have all their weapons. So yeah, it's nice here. They're throwing ninja stars. They're using nunchucks. Yeah, there's fights going on. Yes, somebody gets nunchucks to the head in this movie, and I'm like, that causes cracked skulls. But, you know, they're literally softening the blows here, but yet still using the weapons. Yeah, I think that's key. Again, the line that they're trying to walk is, we want to have morality. This is going to have messaging for young, impressionable minds. And yet we also aren't so high and mighty that we can't, you know, pull out size and do ninja things and be that bad influence parents worried about. Lest the parents think that this is good, wholesome entertainment, they're still rowdy and perhaps controversial figures for kids. And this is also where we get the ninja rap. And fighting in the car, someone turns on the radio and there's Vanilla Ice. That did make me laugh. My girls did not know why I was laughing at that. But anyway, back to April. Yeah, she basically can hang with them. She is the first human being, kind of like Splinter meeting the turtles. Here is the first example the turtles have of humans not being what their dad told them they were. She's nice. She's inquisitive. She cares about them. And so she's going to hang and eat pizza like they like. 
at one point, like when she's interacting with them, they all just start like riffing and doing like inside jokes together and it makes her like doubt. And one of the things I want to praise, I saw this on a featurette that I watched, is at least with the four boys who voice the turtles, unlike I think most voiceover work these days, they brought them all into the booth to work together so they could have that relationship. They could improvise. This doesn't feel like separate sound waves being edited together and overlapped. This feels like real interactions going on here. Agreed. And the voices of the turtles are teenagers? I wondered that. Yes, they're all teenage boys. That makes sense. Yeah, for the first time, other than Corey Feldman, who was 19 with that first Jim Henson <laughs> one, this is the first time you have teenagers voicing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. Yeah. Let's not forget about Feldman. But yeah, I did have to laugh when April's asking, have you talked to the press yet? And they're like, well, we reached out to Wendy Williams. There is little stuff here for me, even. I'm finding I'm in a pretty good mood. And yeah, it's all kind of working. I won't say that I'm enraptured in love. I don't think it's made for me. But I will say that this presentation, while not Spider-Verse, is operating in... It's kind of like... Remember, like, they would do this for movies. Like, they'd have a novelization of Return of the Jedi, and then they'd have the kids' version that would be, like, 50 pages long and try to make the story more simplistic. <laughs> this is like the kids version of Spider-Verse. It tries to take those themes. It's trying to do all of that. And yet at the same time, there's enough here for me, the 50 year old man. Hell, they have Trent Reznor doing the score. That's crazy. But I do think this is thanks to these directors that are coming on. I don't know. You probably did not see. Maybe you did, Stuart, because it was an Academy Award nominated film, Mitchell's versus the Machines. And it has a pug in it, by the way. So, yes, I was required to see it. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. And, you know, that was a Lord and Miller production, so it had a lot of that Lego movie frantic energy. I really enjoyed that one. My girls rewatched that during COVID. Out of the animated films I saw, I saw Encanto. I saw some of those other ones. Like, I thought that was better. We all really liked that one. So I feel like, yeah, if you've seen that film, if you're familiar with that, like, this feels like that same type of humor, that same kind of family connection where they're fighting and joking. Like, it's got a real dynamic to it. I'll agree with what you say, Stuart, is that at this point, I'm having a good enough time, but realizing this movie is really not made for me. That by making the turtles lean so much into the teenage, that this is really aimed at the tweenage, teenage crowd, and that, you know, I'm able to appreciate what they're doing without fully being able to enjoy what they're doing. I actually preferred the more 20-something representations of these Teenage Turtles. Well, it's not as action-oriented. What I would say is when the fights come, they're kind of intense, but there's more sparingly. And it is more about, you know, just being a young person and feeling unaccepted by the world. It's mixed media like Spider-Verse, but they don't do it graffiti style. It doesn't have that Banksy stencil style so much as like when they fantasize, it becomes crayon drawings. And we have that moment here where they fantasize about how they can become popular with humans by becoming superheroes. Yeah, with the style, like my wife was saying, is this like stop motion? At times it almost looks like claymation. But what Rogan said in that featurette I watch is they wanted it to look like the doodles in a teenager's notebook that they would make during school. And so, yeah, it really does have that vibe, especially when they go more like traditional 2D style for some of those segments. And they even used like real, like the Ferris Bueller footage is actually the movie. That's real footage. They go Wally on that. My point is I'm recognizing it's not Spider-Verse and I'm not hating it. So that's kind of where I'm at as this movie kicks into act two and the turtles are now committed to being viral video heroes. We're going to tape ourselves doing heroic things. 
And you say it's not Spider-Verse. I agree, it's not on that emotional level, but I think it's taking away the right lessons from Spider-Verse as far as a, a diverse animated style and, yeah, trying to do something deeper than what you'd get in, say, the billion-dollar blockbuster Mario Brothers movie. But I do feel like they're throwing a bone to us old folks in the audience when the montage of beating up Chop Shop thugs is done to 30-year-old no diggity. I like a lot of the music in this. Yeah, I do recognize a lot of the hip-hop in here is our generation. Yeah, that's what I would say is even though we're told it's only been 15 years, which would put this 2008, in the end, it feels like the references are for the original fans, right? The 80s, Tribe Called Quest. When that song kicked in, I was like, oh, I had that album in 1989. That's what they're really hitting when they talk about, you know, the life that these turtles have been living up until this point. They've been living in the 80s. And Splinter wants to keep them there. Well, I guess people are just throwing their Tribe Called Quest albums down in the sewer, and that's what they have to subsist on. <laughs> Thank God they're not throwing their Beastie Boy albums down there. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I really was waiting for a Beastie Boys track. I was so worried that was going to happen. Mm, you know, Trent Reznor's just a little bit cooler. He knows that the Beastie Boys, and I like them too. The Beastie Boys are cool. It's that they just licensing their music everywhere, and it's annoying. Yeah, they are cool, but they're overexposed at this point. They have become the official face of Teenage Rebellion, and that's too corporate for this movie. So, yeah, we get what we get, and basically, yes, they beat down some leads and find out that, yes, all of these parts are being filtered towards Superfly, and he's going to pick up the last piece of it, the Assimilator, tonight. And I just want to call out during that montage of fights where they're going from gang to gang, hunting down those leads. I love the match cuts they're doing. Like, you know, it's hard to get excited about fight choreography in an animated film because you could really do anything. But I think they do this very stylistically. And yeah, I really liked how they went about that montage with the fighting. Yep. And this is where we also get to see Superfly because the turtles want to be there with April filming them, you know, on her phone. She thinks she's going to get a daytime Emmy when we get these two trucks and a motorcycle blow in. And we realize, I mean, I think the audience already knew, I hope, even the small kids knew they were going to be mutants. But it's a shock to the turtles that they're meeting other people touched by the ooze. Yeah, and unlike every Marvel film where you got to fight before you become friends, they just kind of become friends like they're cousins. Cousin, yeah. They're going to go bowling. I love Ice Cube in this. He really it does have a very... It's hard to keep track of all this rogues gallery. I'll be honest. There are so many different ones. And having no association with the comic book, which is where I'm presuming these characters got pulled, for me, it's meeting all of these characters for the first time. Yeah, I had all of these action figures. I was geeking out that Mondo Gecko and Ray Filet. Was Scumbug an action figure? I didn't remember that one. The two I did not know, and they've come along later, were Scumbug and Leatherhead. Oh, I knew Leatherhead. Fought Leatherhead in the video game, but I definitely had Ray Filet and Mondo Gecko. I guess I never knew who was good and who was bad back then. I always thought Mondo Gecko was a good guy. He does like to skateboard like the Turtles, but yeah, Mondo Gecko, the runaway hit with us, Paul Rudd. Introducing Paul Rudd is how they put it in the credits. Yes. And the other one we all loved was Wingnut, just because it's the actress who voices Nadja in the What We Do in the Shadows television show. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize her. You didn't? Like, she's using her same vampire voice, like, instantly renew who it was. Yeah. And it's Post Malone. I mean, he goes by his official name. But Ray Filet, when he's singing into his knife, that's uh, the biggest pop star of the moment. And John Cena and Seth Rogen himself are Rocksteady and Bebop. Yeah, and we got Hannibal Burris here. I wish he had more lines. I love Hannibal Burris. 
Yeah, nobody knows what to do with that frog. No. <laughs> I wish all of these people had more lines, to be perfectly honest. You've got great casting here going on. You've got Rose Byrne. I think Seth Rogen, despite not liking him, I think to have him as Rocksteady and John Cena as Bebop, or maybe I got that flipped. Isn't it the other way around? I could never keep him straight. I would have really liked to have seen more done with them. Instead, they get a couple of lines and make me wonder, why did you bother poor Rose Byrne? Although she's constantly working with Seth Rogen anymore. Maybe she's just part of that crew. There you go. The way Paul Rudd is. But I'm like, why did you bother these people to come in and do like five lines and go home? Yeah, they probably just recorded it on their computer and emailed it. <laughs> Yeah, what I would offer is this movie's pretty cheap at 70 million to get all of this voice talent. Yeah, it's people doing Seth a favor and doing half a day's work. That's part of why we don't have a whole lot of them. But also that would make this movie very different if it were suddenly about fighting all of these villains. You know, that really isn't the point. Which I thought it was going to be. I knew there was all these mutants. It's called Mutant Mayhem. Usually the turtles are the only good guys. So I thought, yeah, we're going to get a bunch of fights and not a bowling scene. Yeah, the fact that, yeah, they go and bowl into the arcade and all of that and become fast friends. And then it just slips out that Superfly is like, yeah, I'm like my father. You know, Stockman didn't want to weaponize the ooze. So I'm just putting it into a ray gun, shooting it up in the air and making all the animals mutants. And then whatever happens to the humans, maybe they'll be eaten. A baby throwing contest is mentioned. I love it when he riffs on the games they're going to do with the humans. <laughs> Yeah, we'll make them pets. I don't know what they're going to do, but, you know, yeah, I'm going to create a paradise for animals like us. And I love it. Like, I think it's Leo who's like, yeah, we should kill the humans. And April's recording all this for the news. And she's like, I'll cut around that. Yeah, that's an editing nightmare for her. Yeah, because she thinks she's got a video that's going to win over humanity. And the turtles are not happy to hear this. But yes, at the same time, they're a little bit hesitant about fighting other mutants. They see a kinship with them and the idea of just beating on them, even when they know that they're in the moral wrong, is hard for them to come to. They'd want to stay friends. When they get invited to the shipyard and all of that, they're really in it. But I think what happens is, well, basically, once Super Superfly says, we're going to bring your assimilator home, you know, that, that they, they can't give him the device. They can't give him the last component of his death ray. Yeah, their plan is to, hey, we'll drive the van with the assimilator, and I think they're just going to go off and destroy it. But Superfly is like, oh, yeah, Mondo Go knows where I live. He'll drive. He knows how to drive. And we get, I mean, maybe this is not necessary. Four Dom Vlogs? But it's very funny <laughs> that as the bad guys are fighting over the radio and doing a sing-along to what's up, what's going on, yeah, the turtles pull out their kendo stick and hit the brake and send them flying, and it becomes a car chase. All to, like, a techno version of what's going on? It's got a real thumping beat to it. Mm-hmm. You know, between Shakespeare's sister in Insidious and Four Non-Blondes right now, I am really reliving my Gen X kind of indie alt music days. People were into Four Non-Blondes for real. I thought that was the dumbest video ever when I saw that, and I hate that song. Oh, I really liked that song and bought their album. Oh, I always hated that song, but she is a very well-respected songwriter at this point. She's yeah. known for a lot of music you wouldn't know came from that band. Okay. But yeah, and getting my 90s music on as well, Ice Cube referencing Ice-T 6 in the morning as he flies in and grabs the assimilator at the end. I think they drive off an overpass or something. And because the TCRI have put trackers on their devices, that SWAT team is ready to capture the turtles. 
as the bad guys get away. Not just Catherine, there's been this ongoing joke, like Splinter's like, you don't want to associate with humans, they're going to milk you, and like, we don't have nipples, but no, they are finally going to get milked from TCRI, the worst nightmare is going to come true. Although, again, PG rating, you got to make it green. What is coming out of them is the ooze color. Well, they're getting mutagen out of them, it made sense. Yeah, they're pulling the ooze, we don't want to see red, we see red, this is PG-13. Or R. I mean, even PG-13 can't have a lot of red in it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anyone, myself included, and I'm a hater, wants to see turtles, like, bleed out onto the floor. No, I was surprised they were doing this. Yeah, it is a little bit graphic, and they try to lighten it with the BTS sing-alongs and what have you, but it does feel rather dark and confirming. All of a sudden, the turtles are wondering, was Master Splinter correct? Are human beings really terrible? Was April just using us to get a story and leave us? Or do they really just want to milk us? All of that is confirmed in this moment. Yeah, there's this earlier scene where they get this emergency text from Splinter. Hurry, come home. And it's Splinter again. They can't take April home because she's a human. And they're like, he's not going to like you. You stay away. But it's Splinter trying to, again, like give them the things they want to get him to stay home. Here's Chris Pine, the best Chris, a, a cutout of him. So see, you can hang out with humans. I love they had cardboard standees of three Chris's. Chris Evans, Chris Pine, <laughs> and Chris Hemsworth. I thought that was just a good joke. And again, Chris Pine in Captain Kirk regalia because Star Trek is a Paramount property, yes. <laughs> of course he's the best Chris then. They're always plugging their stuff. Yeah, the Hey Arnold reference was the weirdest one. I'm like, nobody knows what that is. It's Nickelodeon, yeah, which is Paramount. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes, April, this is the moment where April has to fight for her friend. She goes to Splinter and even though he's like, I bite you, she is going to bravely go into that sewer and tell him that he needs to rescue his boys. And Splinter's actually going to do something. He's always, in previous incarnations, been the badass who would be able to outfight anybody. And we're going to get that version of him here, too. Yeah. It's one thing to watch him watch a video and do some moves at home. It's another thing to see him take down the SWAT team. And this confirms that, yeah, you asked, are they really good at ninja moves? They're good enough, right? They take down the TCRI. And Splinter basically says, here's the deal he makes. You're done with humanity, but because April is the only good human being, I'm not going to let her die from the death ray. And so we're going to go stop Superfly, and then we're going to go back to the sewer and never deal with another human again. Hang out with Chris Pine forever. Yeah. There's only one way to feel safe and happy. You have to listen to me. That becomes a line that will haunt Splinter when it gets repeated back to him by Superfly later. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of subtlety. And this is where, like, the big difference between something like Spider-Verse and this. Spider-Verse, just, like, it's such a mature film when it deals with emotion and, and child and parent conflicts. Here, it's just more for kids, where, like, I see all the themes very early on about these overbearing fathers passing down bias and hate to their children, and then these children being shaped by that and having to confront that. Like, it's very obvious, like, where all these storylines are going. But, look, the reason I think that last Michael Bay Turtles film I didn't recommend is either that of the first one I don't know is like I never felt like it had a lesson and like these are kids films like you got to kind of have that moral I feel and like yeah this one's got that lesson it's very obvious and easily understandable for children but I I'm glad it's here I and I think this is an important thing like so much talk about generational strife these days yeah boomers versus zoomers and what biases maybe are legit or, or aren't and we need to overcome like this is all good stuff to explore 
Yeah, acceptance. What people will do to be accepted and who they see allegiance to, the tribes they form, are very relevant to kids and adults these days. I think adults could learn from some of these lessons as well. So I'm not finding it pandering at all. But they do have to kick April aside. And as she's leaving, she makes the comment. She's just like, you know, Leo was like, I'm sorry you didn't say prom. And she's like, you know, watching you guys make all those mistakes for approval makes me realize I was doing it for the wrong reason. I was like, zing. That will kind of (laughs) stick with him. And as they race here into the climax, Leo's going to realize I need to fight for what's right, not for what's going to make me popular. And things are going to go wrong, of course, when they try to get that machine back and it's going to fall into the ocean and Superfly is going to get mutated along with like other animals combining into him or something. What are these seahorses that become horses for his legs? (laughs) No, I think what happens initially is the machine falls through the floor and because it's a shipyard, it goes off. I guess there are whales swimming around Staten Island. Yeah, those whales are a little close to shore. But yeah, so he's mostly whale when he like climbs up, but then he walks into a zoo and I think whatever's in the zoo. Right, the Central Park Zoo. Oh, okay, that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah, the horses just stick to his feet. But he does seem to be made up of a lot of aquatic things. He has a blowhole. He does have, like, turtles and starfish stuck to him. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. One thing about this animation style, and this is just a me thing, I understand, you know, Spider-Verse did it. You like Hal Styles, I know that. I like to be able to get a good view of the creatures, you know? And I feel like both as Superfly and especially as Kaiju Superfly, I never really get a good look. Like, I want to see the toy of Kaiju Superfly (laughs) so that I could get a good look and see where the horses are, where the whale is, what other animals are part of it. You know, you've gone through this creature design, show it off a little bit instead of obscuring it as much as they do. Um, I mean, I think it's there. I hear what you're saying. And believe me, Arnie, I believe there are people willing to sell you the toy of this if you so desire. He's probably the Build-A-Figure. You have to buy all the other turtles to build this figure. Mm. But again, what's important is that, yes, he gets legs so he can now walk around like Godzilla through downtown Manhattan. And he has this lobster claw because at one point he's going to have the turtles in it and he's cracking them like pistachios or something like that, which I thought was a very vivid image. But yes, he is a big monster. But the big conflict here, yeah, the turtles are going to spring into action. They're going to convince the other mutants to fight along with them. But the news says, oh, turtles are actually the bad guys. These mutants are destroying everyone. They're not differentiating between Superfly and the rest. Yeah, and this is how April is helpful twice. One, she was outside TCRI and saw that cool bike and just stole it. She likes mopeds. And it just so happens that in the holster of that motorcycle is the anti-mutagen gun that was originally going to be used 15 years ago. And now they have a device to hurt that kaiju. And April is going to confront her fears of being on camera, puke a little, but get the right message out so that people don't think the turtles are leading the mutant insurrection. Yeah, I like that she gets the message out and then she pukes. I get that it's funny and a callback that she pukes, but I feel like it actually undermines the character a little bit that she should have evolved to the point where she had the self-confidence not to puke because she's still puke girl now. No, this is the maturity of the film saying it doesn't have to be black and white. She makes that baby step. These are teenagers. They don't change in a day. They make little steps to maturation. 
Yes. Someone is still going to make that meme, right, of her puking. (laughs) That's all they'll remember from this is, nope, you're still puke girl to me. And that's just the way of the world. Yes, we'd like to change our image, but maybe not. I just want to give a shout out to Iowa Debery because she is one of the co-stars of The Bear. I don't know if you guys are watching that show, but it's a very heartwarming sort of dramedy set around a Chicago eatery. And she has a scene stealing role. She's a good catch here as a voice actress. You may not know except from that show. But this end fight, I was a little confused where the anti-mutagen came from. You know, I know it was something with TCRI. I feel like the narrative gets a little bit lost and the characters get a little bit lost in this. There's so many mutants and where did most of them go? But we're going to get a moment out of what I feel is like one of Raimi's Spider-Man movies because April O'Neil is saying these turtles are trying to save New York. So some regular New Yorkers are going to come along to help and help carry that anti-mutagen. They have that anti-mutagen. Raph shoots it into the leg of Superfly, and that just frees one of the horses. It just turns that horse back into a normal horse, which I thought was funny. But yeah, they realize because they watch anime, and boy, do the kids love anime these days. Thanks to all the streaming services that carry it. Like, my girls are huge anime fans. Like, they get all the Attack on Titan jokes and references they're making here. Like, because they watch anime, they know they got to drop that mutagen down the blowhole to get Superfly. So yes, they do the Spider-Man thing and pass that bag along, which I love. Like, I always love that moment, like, where the city comes together together to help the superhero. And it starts with Splinter. It should be said that while they're in the claw, the turtles are being crushed. It's Splinter that has that blue battery and he's reaching for it. He's fallen. He's reaching for it and a human's coming at him. He predicts the worst and the fact that they want to help him to his feet. The fact that this is the moment where he can recognize that human beings can be kind to a rodent. Again, it's a nice message for people that live in fear. And I think in urban environments in all of America right now, people get in their silos and they're afraid to step out of them. But yes, it's a pass the blue battery around kind of moment. And Leo, I think he recognizes his leadership in this moment as well. This is where Arnie, we get as much individuation as we're going to. He's able to turn to his brothers and say, oh, I like your anger. And that helps Raph like flip over a pizza van so that they can drive that to the parking lot and drive over the kaiju and try to drop it in. Donnie has seen all the anime, so he knows how to kill kaiju. Also Avengers, there's a lot of Mark Ruffalo references in this film. Yes. Well, but Ruffalo improvised that. And Mikey is the one that is the improviser. And it's spritzed on. And it does feel like rewritten in. It does feel like a writer that came in later. It is funny to me that they're referencing the Mark Ruffalo scene that heavily featured Paul Rudd. And yet Paul Rudd is in this movie as Mondo Gecko. It's just like chasing its own tail there. At this point, I don't expect to see a movie project that hasn't been touched by Marvel or DC. It's just that omnipresent. Every actor wants that gig. Arnie, was that a pun? Because Mondo Gecko does lose his tail and like, I guess he doesn't chase it when he grows a new one. It's a good joke. Yes. Again, but the the important thing is humans and mutants together, all of the mutants that we see the frog helping a delivery driver pass it to a taxi cab that gets lifted up by the flying mutants, so on and so forth, until it's the turtles like sinking a basket at the end. Off-screen death, I don't think we really understand the kaiju melts and goes. It's like half a second. They really don't linger on death in this movie, PG rating, but I think you get the point that they've defeated Superfly and the humans are doing exactly what the turtles hoped they would screaming sign my baby (laughs) cheering them on did the fly die i honestly thought he was just turned back into a fly 
Uh, you know what? Because we do see the TCRI having a fly in a container in the mid credit stinger, you might be right. But that is not dramatized in this final battle. No, it just looks like he is gone. You know, he's spitting ooze anyway, so I don't even know if he's melting. He's just oozing and then he's gone. And that sends the signal that the parent gets to tell the child how much they feel they're ready for death, right? The adult watching this with the kid will have to explain it. The important thing is that everyone goes to live in the sewer and is happy that Splinter has found love with... Scumbug. <laughs> that is the grossest relationship. That should not be in a PG movie, them kissing. It really is. Yeah. It's the sound effect, really. That I'm like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the fact that the alligator is like serving a blooming onion, which is like the Outback Steakhouse, <laughs> like staple, like for breakfast. They're all happy in this environment. Also cool, Wingnut is reading the complete collection of Akira. You love that. Fun fact, I use that actual stack to erect my microphone each week <laughs> to do these recordings. <laughs> and turtles are going to put on human clothes and walk into Eastman High School to be greeted as heroes. Of course, Eastman, one of the creators of the turtles, Eastman and Laird. So, Yeah, Laird was the pizzeria earlier, too. I mean, this is a surprising take for me. We've seen the turtles want to be more assimilated with humanity. That That's always been a struggle, getting that acceptance. But here, they walk into that high school and they have that moment. I thought the joke was going to be everyone just ignores them because it's high school and that's what you do. But they eventually, like, get excited and bring them in. But, yeah, the fact that almost all the mutants here are good guys, the turtles, like, they're going to school. Like, this is a big-time reboot in the lore that I'm used to, at least. They threw away their masks. I'm like, how am I ever going to tell the difference? They got different <laughs> body types. I barely can now. Thank God they have the belts, right? <laughs> yeah. They have belts with letters. But I'm like, ooh. Their whole color scheme of their outfits match what their masks would have been. Okay. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't notice that. But yes, it will be a struggle for me if they were to make a sequel. But yes, how strange that they won't be hiding anymore. The Bay film tried to get there. Out of the Shadows did, at the end, have them being celebrated at the foot of the Statue of Liberty. But here, they're going to say that if we get more turtles, they're just going to be kids in high school and not wearing masks. Literally doing the Spider-Man thing, which, again, not a complaint. Those Spider-Verse films are great. Copy them, please. Super Mario Brothers, you should have copied that instead of doing that silly kids movie you did. Yeah, why make a billion dollars? Well, they didn't know. <laughs> Look, you, you saying that's better than uh, Spider-Verse? I don't want more Mario Brothers. I don't care if it made a billion. If I'm a stockholder, I want more Mario Brothers. Yeah, I get both of your points that, yes, the profitable thing is to make it as middle of the road as possible. But yes, it feels a little bit more personalized, individualized. And yeah, I don't know if it's Spider-Verse, but it's a new chapter for these turtles. A new day is born. But if there's a sequel, have teenagers changed so much that they like high school? I remember when I was in high school wanting nothing more than to get out of high school, drop out of high school, graduate, anything to get out. These teenagers are fighting to get in. I'm like, is that going to be a short-lived fantasy? Well, we see they found their people, right? That's the whole point is we found people. Donnie's got nerds on devices. Mikey is doing improv comedy. I'll say this, after two years of online schooling for my girls, they were ready to get back in school. They're like, we're sick of being around adults all day. We want to be around kid, like physical interaction with other kids our age. So I think there is maybe like a little COVID take on this, like being locked in the house with adults all the time and wanting to get back out among your peers. I know my girls definitely went through that when they, they were super excited when they finally got to go back to in-class school. 
And they were teasing this love affair like it was there. Leo had goo-goo eyes for April. He gets to take her to prom, so maybe that will go somewhere. But just as friends, right? That's the tagline at the end as April says to Leo, we're just here as friends. Yeah, and they're working together. She's gone back to her bulletin board trying to find where TCRI went because they went back to the headquarters and they've just moved. They're gone. And so we're going to try and find where they are, not realizing that TCRI is watching what they're doing, that we have the very end stinger mid-credits be that Cynthia is watching them on school cameras and planning to reach out to Shredder. It was a good, fresh take to not have Shredder in this film. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I really liked that the Turtles have a huge rogues gallery. It would be like if every Spider-Man movie was just against the Green Goblin to have the Turtles only go up against Shredder every time. And so I was happy to see a movie step away. But much like Nolan's Batman trilogy, you can't stay away from Shredder that <laughs> long. The way they brought in Joker for the sequel, the plan is bring Shredder back for the sequel if, yes, as we discussed, the box office means this one would get a sequel. Well, here's what I'm going to say. I don't think it's in the cards for another theatrical feature, but Paramount Plus has already said this iteration is going to series. We will get a cartoon adventure where Shredder and Krang and everybody will be fighting them. Whether they get another movie, well, we'll see. But do we want it to? Jacob, Stewart, do you recommend Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? Jacob. Like I said, I went into this one fairly optimistic. And that was based on a lot of the aesthetics. Like, it had a cool logo. Like, look, that's the level I'm going to meet the turtles on. Can they make a cool logo that will look good on a skateboard <laughs> that I would buy? Yes, it achieves that. I like the style, that it was something different, that it was just more stylistic like those Spider-Verse films. And the fact that they were teenagers, that was a good hook for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen them act like kids before. That seems like a fresh take. And there's a lot of fresh takes in this that I was not expecting, the, the fact that almost all the mutants end up being good guys. That, yeah, there's no Shredder in this one. That Splinter is kind of an asshole. He's a jerk here. You don't like him at the beginning. Maybe you never like him, but like they really were daring on this. And, and that's what I want to praise. Like I had a smile on my face the whole time watching this. I had a good time. My girls were cracking up out loud. Like you talk about bringing the kids. Like, yeah, this worked for, again, an older teenager and a younger teenager. Like even though this might have been made in mind for even younger kids, like the teenagers I took love this film and they they weren't turtle fans they didn't even know what colors went with you like you Stuart. so it won them mm -hmm. over and so yeah i think stylistically it looks great i love when animation is daring and, and tries something different it does that i thought the script look i keep bringing up spider-verse it is not the same level but it learned the right lessons it tried to be more mature in the emotions they're going for in the story development it's not on that same level but it's moving in the right direction and that's what i liked and at the end of the day i'm gonna say for the theatrical turtle films this is the best one. This is the one I would watch again, even as a middle-aged man. Like, I had a good time watching these turtle films. Like, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia in there, but again, they go against the grain so much in the lore that this felt almost like a new, fresh thing to me. So, yeah, a strong recommend for Mutant Mayhem. I'm surprised myself. Stuart. And, you know, just to take the opposite stance, I'm the one that says not recommend to the entire franchise. Yes, I can make up imaginary kids and know that there's an age demographic that will love it, but I never did. In the 80s, I didn't watch the cartoon. I didn't like the hints in movies. That remains true now. I don't want to read the comics. I don't want to buy the toys. I don't want none of it. And yet... Mutant Mayhem does everything right to be a satisfying entertainment. Franchise be damned. It captures the essence of being a teenager and makes a story with enough 
references I presume old fans will love. And yes, they changes up enough stuff that keeps you on your toes and realizes they're not afraid of creative risk and that they understand today's impressionable youth do receive far too much messaging about being accepted for being uh, who you are virally and that that's the only way to feel self-worth. Tackling that theme, I think, is really important. It's uh, one that I think all impressionable minds can benefit from. It's a moral movie and yet still a kung fu movie that does anarchistic things and yeah, it's not too healthy an influence that your mom will approve of it. So visual style is good. Reznor's score is crunchy and engaging. Voice acting on point. I will never be a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I never want more, but this is obviously an unqualified Green Arrow. I like it with or without kids and definitely the best Turtles movie ever made. Two for two on the best turtles. Artie, it's all up to you now. The weight is on your shoulders. It's going to stay two out of three for the best turtles movie ever made. Oh, God. That piece of shit 90s movie. (laughs) I don't know off the top of my head which one's the best because I didn't go back and rewatch them all. What I can say is this movie was not made for me. And as such, it was fine. You know, I appreciated it, but I wish there was some more differentiation in my mutants. I wish the turtles had more character arcs. I wish if you're going to introduce such a rogues gallery in this, that they actually had something to do. I think that it's too much mutant mayhem. Actually, it's not enough mayhem and too many mutants. I would have liked mutant mayhem to overcome this entire film. And instead, it seemed to just kind kind of flounder at times. There's too much going on with this TCRI, too much universe building and not enough character building. I think this is going to really resonate with a younger set. I do. I think that it could create a new generation of Mutant Ninja Turtle fans for people who came out of Spider-Verse, want more of that style of animation. And for me, it was good enough to spark some nostalgia. I am re-watching that 1990 Mutant Ninja Turtle film tonight and gonna have some ninja power, but I give this a recommend, but just kind of a, you know, recommend. Not the strongest of recommends, not the weakest of recommends, just kind of a middle of the road. I liked this movie. I think you will too recommend, but I think your kids will love it. Yeah. And just to be clear, Arnie, you are or are not a fan of the franchise. I think he's the strongest fan of the franchise. I certainly was for a period. Yeah, I think I am of the three of us the strongest fan. I keep up with it. And, you know, I may actually go back and reread some of those old Eastman and Laird comics. There's a lot of, like, traveling to space and stuff. It gets weird real fast. They're not great, but... Yeah, I just... I want to revisit the lore of, like, Baxter Stockman and the Mouser droids and all of the various mutants as they were introduced and that sort of stuff was kind of fun for me back in the day. And so, yeah, this sparked some nostalgia. I dare say I'm kind of a fan of the franchise, even though I'm not a kid and I'm not going to keep up with it. What would you hold on to? The 80s cartoon? Is that the pinnacle for you? The 90s movie. The 1990 (laughs) movie. No, that is the absolute bottom. When I rank all of this, that is at the very bottom. I really want you to look at that with a critical eye. Forget that you saw it as a, you weren't even a child. You were like 13, but forget that you saw it at an impressionable age and look at how shoddy that movie is. It is a crappy, dank, awful looking movie. And I so related to Raphael when I saw (laughs) that movie that I had a kinship with a character on screen. Okay. 
There's actually a Mutant Ninja Turtles reunion going on not far from me in September, and I am so on the verge of going and getting Judith Hoag's autograph and all these other autographs. She's still around? What's Judith up to? They even dumped her. Yeah, she only did that first movie. They dumped her. Wisely, they kept the Casey. I feel like Casey is the only bright spot in that movie, but yeesh. Yeah, Mutant Mayhem. Just basically, if it's not animated, don't do it, is my advice in the end. Mutant Mayhem and maybe that earlier 2009 TMNT are the only things that you'd want to watch. And of course, the animated shows. But those live action movies, you lose anyway. You, you slice it. I want to go back and rewatch that Turtles forever. When we first covered Turtles, you love that thing. That one was my favorite. And so now that we've had Spider-Verse and all these other multiversal ones, I'd like to go back and revisit that cartoon and see if it holds up as well as my memory says. It doesn't, but I'll let you discover that alone. But Stuart, don't forget, <laughs> he's still holding on to Jim Henson's turtles, so. He says that, but again, I dare you to actually pay full attention to it and sit there and watch it. I did when we reviewed it, and you can listen to that review. It wasn't all that long ago. My viewpoints won't have changed. We'll see. I don't know. I feel like my opinions have changed over time, but we're going to give you more shows. We are a little backlogged on theatrical releases. I mean, there's also strikes going on, so they're moving everything. I mean, who knew that we'd actually have films stacked on top of each other with all the schedule changes? I don't know what you're talking about being backlogged. Did another movie come out? Because God knows Last Voyage of the Demeter did not make a splash at the box office. It never was. <laughs> come on. Well, actually, funny you say that. It took 20 years to make this thing. Went through several different hands. Yes, it is the eighth Dracula movie we're covering this year and the scary version. If Nick Cage made you laugh, this is the one that's going to make you cower in fear from The Count. And we'll be covering that for everyone. Everyone gets that show this Friday. And then Blue Beetle, more superhero bugs next Tuesday. Yep, that's right. We have a totally free Friday show. Thank you to all of our supporters who enable us to keep doing this show. It is because of supporters that we are doing an extra free Friday show for everyone. And hopefully you can join us for our current donation drive. We just finished our gold level with the Meg 2 review. All of those summer shark movies we did. Open Water, The Shallows, The Reef. The Meg, 47 meters down, one and two. And of course we did do as our silver level, the Piranha series. And we're going to be doing as our platinum level, the Expendables films coming up very soon. You can find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. We have no sponsors. We have no ads. We have only listener support. And so we hope you are able to support us and enjoy our free Friday show of Demeter. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. Till next time, Cowabunga Dudes. We have had our first battle, Master Splinter. They were many, but we kicked well. Mm -hmm. I suggest we all meditate now on the events of this evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles retrospective series. Money cannot buy the honor which you have earned tonight. We hope you've enjoyed the show. 
Will I ever see you guys again? Well, that depends on how fast you stock your pizza. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another movie review. It's going to be quite a party. Well, what do we do now? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews on series such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, Tron, Terminator, Star Trek, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and more. Okay, Turtles, let's move out. You can also find individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Fight Club, Godzilla, Pacific Rim, and more. I knew it, I'm missing all the fun. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. We will find you. Yeah, we'll find you. I'm sorry, that came across super creepy, okay? <laughs> we will find you. Oh, he who takes the shell must pay. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I must warn you, we do not come cheap. Does it look like money is of any concern to me? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Maybe I should write this down. Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series is edited by Arnie. Our domain is the shadow. Pray for me reluctantly, for when you do, you must strike hard and fade away without a trace. Now playing credit narration by Brock. You certainly can turn a phrase, my boy. Now playing is not affiliated with Mirage Studios, Playmates Toys, New Line Cinema, Imaji Animation Studios, Warner Brothers Pictures, Nickelodeon Movies, or Platinum Dunes Entertainment. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that the TMNT universe contains is the property of Nickelodeon, a subsidiary of Viacom, and no infringement is intended. What does all that mean in American? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble. Shut it. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, dude, I'd say that's pretty much a wrap. Yep. Uh, uh Cowabunga? Hmm? Cowabunga. Yeah. Yeah. Cowabunga! Directed by Jeff Rowe. Oh, you forgot Mr. Beast. The Zoomers are turning this episode off now. What did he play? He gets two lines. Yeah. My daughter's recognized his voice right away. I don't even know who that is. Mr. Beast? Just the biggest YouTuber, like, ever. Yeah, even I know who Mr. Beast is, okay? Yes, he has the most subscribers of any YouTuber. Yeah. And he does crazy things like, I'm going to live on a desert island for a month and film myself. Or no, he'll do things like, here's a five by five square in a Best Buy. Whatever you could fit in there, I will buy for you. And like, they just go through and like pile a tower of stuff and he buys it for like tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Quasi humanitarian efforts that are also self-serving. Yeah. He did do a thing. Yeah. He like gave a thousand people their sight back through surgery. Like, Mm -hmm. he's got a candy bar in the stores too, for some reason. 
He does. During COVID, he had a restaurant where you could order it and get it delivered. We did that once. It was 100 bucks for some really bad burgers. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. But the girls were at their peak Mr. Beast fandom during COVID, so had to do it. And where else were we going to go? Shwing! <laughs> <laughs> And this is also where we get the ninja rap. And fighting in the car, someone turns on the radio and there's Vanilla Ice. That did make me laugh. My girls did not know why I was laughing at that. (laughs) He still performs it in concert, I can guarantee. I mean, it's like his number two hit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He had a few, but let's not revisit it. He had Ice Ice Baby and Ninja Rap. Don't tell me he had a few. To be covered when we cover (laughs) Cool Cool as Ice. ice. Yes, I know that's going to happen one day. Righteous!